Hello and welcome to the Taylor Remy Podcast. I am your host, Eric Taylor, and today we're going to be doing something a little bit differently today. We're not just going to be interviewing someone. We're going to be talking to two people by the name of Keisha and Jay. We're going to be talking about a current court case that Keisha has opened because of... Well, I don't really want to spoil it. You're just going to have to listen to the episode for yourself, but I hope you all enjoy it. Thank you, and let's get right into the episode. Okay. You there? Sorry about that. I had some... I made a boneheaded mistake. I have a I, for my work, I have a um, some ne- uh, some network security, uh, some en- uh, some enterprise network security, and it was interfering with my connection to. Oh, okay. So my apologies. Oh no, no, it's all right, it's all right, all right. So like you know, um, all right. So like you know, before okay, so before we get started, like you know, I just want to like let's just talk about like you know, let, let's pretty much just talk about what we're going to talk about here, like you know, uh, uh. Yeah, so like, just tell them what you want to, what you pretty much what you want to talk about, all right? Okay, um, I I um reached out to you because as I was mentioning, you know, I had a run-in with a city magistrate who um sexually assaulted me, and they warned me to shut up about the sexual assault, or you know, there will be consequences. With the consequences, um, they were sending people to my home to threaten and harass me. You know, they were sending people to my job. They tried to set my house on fire with me and my baby inside. So I started reaching out to Child Protective Services, DHR, asking for help, you know, so that these people, and, and excuse the background noise, I'm um, outside, I went for a walk, Um so, like I was saying, I reached out to CPS for help, you know, to um, see if they could get the law involved and make the people stop coming to my home, you know, stop coming to my job because it was affecting my child. And instead of them helping me, what they did was um, they turned a blind eye to it and they began making accusations saying that I'm crazy. Because they're saying that my accusations were frivolous. I'm not gonna. So, I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna wait. Really? They they said you were crazy. Yeah. They 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 um made a report saying that I was insane. Um, that I need to take psyche valves. Though they have the videos and the recordings and the screenshots of people posting to have killed me. Um. They have the videos of the people vandalizing my car. They have the girl coming to my home trying to uh, say she's going to blow me and my baby brains out. So um, when they sent the women to my job to jump on me, it was five women. I maced them. And instead of them allowing me to press charges, they charged me with um, third degree assault. Um, and I and I end up leaving the state of Alabama for um two years. I didn't know that during these two years they were um like filed, signing warrants on me, saying that I'm harassing them because I won't be quiet about being sexually assaulted by the magistrate. Wow. So when I let my baby come back to town to see my godmother and my sister, that's when the police. Um, and the judges and everybody moved in. My child was kidnapped. They said that she was not kidnapped because um, I had a warrant for assault. That's what they're trying to say. She wasn't kidnapped. She was handed over. I gave her um, 
to my sister and my sister had the um temporary guardianship paperwork and she had the court order saying that my child was not to be around her father due to um a previous court order so my sister was paid $5,000 to turn my baby over. They knew that with her giving my baby over, I'm coming back to the state of Alabama to get my baby. So that was their way. They, they held my baby hostage pretty much as leverage to get me back in the state. When I came back to the state asking um, CPS and DHR and the police for help, they began hanging up the phone in my face. They began um, telling me I'm never getting my baby back. And then all of a sudden, they was like, hey, come to court and we'll give you your baby back. Well, when I got to court, they arrested me. They held me in jail 131 days for a third degree assault. They beat me. They starved me. I almost died in jail. And um, they told me that I'm crazy. So now I'm battling with um, the courts and CPS to get my baby back um, and pr to prove that I'm not crazy, you know. Wow. I, I don't know. I don't know what to say about that. That's just very shocking. I did not. That took a that took a deep that took a deep dark. That took a dark turn real quick. Like, you know, uh, Jay, it is very easy to look at a situation like this and say that Keisha is crazy. It's very easy for the average person to look and say, yeah, that's probably right. But I'm a former Child Protective Services investigator. I used to do this work. Now, as a child welfare consultant and social entrepreneur, I actually help families prepare for and navigate Child Protective Services investigations. Granted, I'm usually involved a lot at a much earlier stage than Keisha is right now. Uh, in every profession, law enforcement, child welfare, accounting, uh, there are always people that are, uh, there, there are always some people that are going to be corrupt uh, because with free will comes the freedom to do good and the freedom to do evil. And some people unfortunately choose the latter. On top of that, Keisha got hit not only with what appears to be, uh, be cor uh, corruption, uh, as in caseworkers and court, uh, court officers actually acting in bad faith, at least in some ways, the system as it exists today for child protective services really is set up with an incentive structure to act a lot more quickly because the consequences of child protective services not doing something are a lot uh, are very severe if they're wrong than if they at least make some degree of efforts uh I can go. Uh, I can certainly go into more detail about it, but what ha what happens is to literally protect those that are do uh, are doing this work, at least from a political perspective, because since child protective services is primarily handled within the executive branch of states as a government agency, it is now 
inherently political. And this is this is true in Keisha's case with uh, Alabama DHR. Uh, So what's what's going on here? The way things are set up, it's not surprising that things are taking as long as they are. And look, I, I stayed working in child protective services as long as I did before I actually left and st- and started my consulting firm, started CPS Protect, is simply because I saw how some of my colleagues conducted their investigations and how they treated things. And it was always, well, if I'm not doing it, then it might be assigned to them. And I know how that's going to go. Because sometimes somebody really just does need a little bit of help or, you know, a, a referral or, or so, you know, and it's a five minute issue. But because of the way Child Protective Services investigations are set up, the efforts that have to be made, and the ambiguity of standards, it can never be that simple. Uh, when you add the politics into it, I, I am always astonished that people will complain about waiting in line at the DMV or how crazy the audits are that the IRS does, and then expect that the Parks Department or Alabama's DHR are going to hold you in any less contempt, be any more competent, and be any more efficient. Unfortunately, in most cases, when things are handled by the government, it is not typically, it's not very efficient. And it's a harsh reality, but when you do compare it to the DMV or the IRS, people start to get it. And hello. Uh, yeah. Okay. And I think what has hurt hurt my case so much is the presiding judge who used to be over family court is now over the civil and um, municipal court. So he's calling all the shots in my case. You know, like, again, like the bondsman said when I went to jail, he was like, oh, I'm going to go ahead and meet you down there. I'll sign you out. You'll be in and out. But when the uh, presiding judge found out I was going to jail on the third degree assault of misdemeanor, he said, no, you take her bond up to $4,000 cash and you leave her sitting there to rot. She's not on time, sir. She's not to have a legal aid attorney and she's not to have a court appointed attorney. If she wants to get out, let her find her own attorney from the inside. Wait, hold on. Hold on. So like, you know, they, they told you to find your own attorney from the inside of prison? Yeah, they recused all of the court appointed legal aid and half of the attorneys who are private attorneys. They're already recused from the case already because, again, the presiding judge has everyone afraid. And not to mention the presiding judge's brother works for the mayor. He's the mayor's assistant. So they're all in on it together. The police department, everybody. Wow. Uh, wait, so are they still telling you? I, I'll be honest. Like you know, you said you said like you know earlier on that they they were telling you to be quiet about this. Are they still telling you that or like? Oh yeah, like, they told me. They told me don't speak about anything that's going on with me. But I, I told them, you know, that's that's my right to speak about what's happening to me. True freedom of speech, but like yeah, yeah, true. Like me, you know, you you could you could like you know what 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 did they say they would do if you like you did? 
Um, well, I don't go into the city of Birmingham. I, I stay on the outside of Birmingham because they already threaten that, you know, whatever happens to me happens to me in the city. Police have already been alerted that if they see me, you know, to do whatever they need to do, even though I don't have any warrants or anything. They're, they're it, just. Was a gag order ever issued yes. to prevent you from talking? So a, a gag order was issued. Yeah. The, the way, the way they can get that, they, they can get something like that through on something like this, Eric, is if they believe that what, if there is belief or reasonable cause to believe that what Keisha is saying, that this slander could put certain, uh, could put the people that she's talking about in danger, for example, the caseworker or otherwise. Now that can be a very ambiguous term, what danger or harm may be but if they can basically justify that then that gag order could be issued uh what happened here with keisha uh with this gag order attempting to silence her is perfectly plausible um but as long as she's out of their jurisdiction it's not easy to enforce Okay. Yeah. That. Okay. Yeah. That. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Like you know. That you. Now that you said it like that, it makes a whole lot more sense. Like you know, I was kind of, I was kind of think, I was kind of thinking that too. But like, I wasn't really completely sure if like you know, they could like really enforce that while like you know she was out of out of the um jurisdiction. Well, it, it, well, even if even if you don't have the corrupt judge that you do in Keisha's case. A child protective services investigation is among the most frightening experiences any parent can endure because basically what's going on here is someone knocks on your door and says, someone made a call to the child abuse hotline alleging mm-hmm. you're a bad parent. May I come in? And with the mm-hmm. potential consequences that, you know, that, that Keisha is actually experiencing here, of course, this is frightening. So you're not thinking straight. You're not looking at this uh, pragmatically as to should I let them in? Should I not? What are my rights? You're thinking, how can I impress them to make sure that they see that I'm a good parent? But there's no universally agreed definition for what child abuse or neglect actually actually are. That makes it very difficult to uh, to actually understand, well, what are the standards that I'm supposed to meet? What makes a good parent and a good home? And I've never met a perfect parent. Look, I love my parents, but have they made their mistakes? Yes, like all parents do. My mother used to tell me, you know, I, I do my best. I, no, when you have a child, they don't come with an instruction manual. Right. So you learn along the way. Uh, but if you don't actually even know the standards that you're supposed to meet and the standards for what makes a good parent and what makes a, uh, and what makes a good home are ambiguous, it becomes very difficult to meet that. And when you are stressed out and losing sleep because Child Protective Services is involved and you have no idea just how bad things may or may not get. Yeah, and they um, they were getting phone calls, five phone calls, six, seven phone calls per day saying, hey, go out to this house because she's crazy. But mind you, 
I've taught in the school system the last four and a half years with two degrees in education. Now, all of a sudden, because a judge and the police department want me to shut up, I'm suddenly crazy. Every time they came out to my home, everything passed inspection. My child has two rooms of her own, fully furnished with everything that she, uh, any child could possibly want. My child is one of the top scoring students in her class. But I'm suddenly crazy. This is a mistake I see a lot of parents make. Is the standard that you, the standard that you're using and the standard that DHR is using are not identical. Now their standard may be unreasonable. Your standard may be reasonable. But they're looking at this in a very different way. It could be that things are that you're what I like to call loosely organized which is you're not entirely organized, but there might be an area of the home that is, for example, uh, where navigation is, is obstructed. And oh. if there were a fire, you know, then- Oh, the home is spotless. The home is spotless. I'm giving a, you know, <laughs> a, a, a hypothetical situation here where for the most part it is spotless but maybe there's something that's obstructed and all of a sudden they can say well that's a safety concern Mm -hmm. they're not looking at this through the same lens that you are now granted in your case it does sound like there is more legitimate corruption that's going on here but in your average case even this small discrepancy in what you understand as being a good parent and being a good home and the way that DHR understands it can still blow this up because if they don't act and it turns out that something happens to the child, they get in a lot more trouble than if they do and you get stuck in a family court system or or juvenile court, depending on the state, uh, where there is a substantial backlog and you go through, you are dragged through the ringer. Uh, there is a lot less of a risk to their jobs and their livelihoods if they act. So, more often than not, when they do act, especially on allegations of neglect in particular, it can look like their response is, should we say, ridiculous uh it certainly doesn't seem to fit what's going on unfortunately this is uh, unfortunately this is really an issue Uh, and because and what's i guess what gets me the first worker that they sent out uh, her name is Miss Bradley. Now all of a sudden they saying they don't know of, of Miss Bradley or who she is. But Miss Bradley, she um actually put a block on them calling, and she told me to pull my child out of school and put her in online school because of the calls that they're getting. She wouldn't fret if there was a threat to kidnap my child. Oh, right. You know, I actually believe. It's entirely possible they don't know who this person is. Uh, because hear me out before you before you call me crazy, uh, because there is such a high turnover in mm-hmm. child welfare, particularly child protective services. It's unclear how long she was actually there. 
she mm-hmm. may not be there and there may not actually be anyone in the office who remembers this person other than whatever documentation still exists. Mm-hmm. So it may, it, it may in fact, they may in fact be telling the truth that they don't actually know who she is other than what's on the paperwork. And because the paperwork uh, by law is, uh, well, un- at least until the case is closed, it's confidential. Yeah, the good thing is I record my conversations and I have the conversation recorded. Though they don't want to hear, they don't want to see any of my evidence. But I have that conversation recorded. It's very smart that you're doing that. There are some states that have been introducing laws when it comes to uh, preventing people from recording. But I think it's important as long as we're on this podcast to note that even in those states, like, for example, Illinois, when it is a government action, even if it is one-on-one, if the government is coming in uh, and investigating, you are still allowed to record. That is still legal in every state. You do not need their consent for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially yeah, especially nowadays, recording stuff is like you know extremely crucial when it comes to certain things like this too. So like that's that was really smart. Yeah, and that's why they're doing everything they can to keep me quiet, even, like I said, holding me in jail, starving me because they wanted me dead because that erases everything, all of my allegations, because I have the magistrate recorded telling me to shut up or he's going to lock me up for a long time if I don't shut up about what he did to me. Which is is absolutely terrible. And most people who you tell this to will... Not because, not because they're bad people, but they will immediately say, this sounds so crazy. I can't possibly mm-hmm. believe that what you're going through is true. And I'm sure that, I'm sure that you've dealt with that. But yeah. w- when it comes to Child Protective Services, they are just – they're not very transparent. And the, with, the, with the way that they act, a lot of people don't realize this or understand this. And that was one thing that when I did work for the – DHR equivalent in New York, I did try to make an effort to do, but I saw that I was working in a system that was just, if I wasn't making seven figures and I wasn't actually helping families, or it was always a fight to do it, then Mm -hmm. I had to ask myself, what was I actually doing there? And that was the beginning of the end for me working for the government and is setting up my own consulting firm, CPS Protect. Mm-hmm. And literally, because the whole idea is to take the lens off either before Child Protective Services even shows up or early on so that families can make the right decisions and reduce the time the Child Protective Services is involved, reduce right. the fear, disruption, and intrusion that these investigations cause. Before it gets before it gets out of control, before somebody gets into the minefield that is a CPS investigation, or in the case of Alabama DHR, and ends up stepping on a mine and ends up with a substantiated allegation, and right. any of the you know any of the consequences that could be even worse: removal, uh, termination of parental rights, uh, long-term involvement through prevention services, subsequent reports. Um, the whole idea is to actually take the mask off. Mm-hmm. It, it, 
fighting the government, actually saying no to the government is a very difficult thing to do. And families are something that uh, tend to top uh, top people's priority lists, their family, their children. It really does. And what's happening to Keisha, you know, and not just not just Keisha, but her daughter is is just so it's just so atrocious. Uh, let me give let me give you an example of just how bad uh, some of this involvement can get. There are many states that don't just allow for confidential reporting, which is they report to the child. People can report to the child abuse hotline, make a good faith report, and their name is kept confidential. But many states also allow what's called anonymous reporting, where they don't actually have to disclose their identity or contact information, and none is recorded. So in those states, you can have somebody who can just report again and again and again. And even if you file a report with the police alleging uh, that a report is made in bad faith, which is illegal in every state, if the judge has nothing to unseal, then how are they ever going to hold somebody accountable? And I remember somebody who had 80-something reports in her prior history mm-hmm. when I when it landed on my desk and it was just that there were a bunch of anonymous reports the same thing happening to me hmm. uh, I got I got a question why why are they trying to take away your child I, why are they trying to do that because they want me to shut up about being sexually assaulted by the city magistrate okay Okay. Okay. So like, you know, pretty, okay. So that, okay. So like, you know, I, yeah, I just needed my memory. Like, you know, yeah. Cause I yeah. forgot like why I like, okay. Yeah. That's it. why, because oh, yeah. um, they've okay. been attempting to shush me. Okay. So like, okay. So like, you know, uh, let me get this straight. So uh, because you got sexually assaulted, you told, you told them and they're not taking it seriously and you keep saying, and you keep telling them and telling them and telling them then, but they're still not taking it seriously. So they're threatening you. They threatened yes. you every which way. They tried. They pretty much tried to kill you and your child too in a burning house. Yeah, they um they have the video of the um female trying to set the house on fire. They also have her recorded saying that she wants to set the house on fire with me and my baby inside. Okay. They have the video of her um paying someone to come vandalize the car. Um, uh, and she says also in the recording that the car was not only supposed to be vandalized, he was supposed to set it on fire once me and my baby got inside. Oh, you okay. have the video of the female at my house beating on the door, telling me that she's going to blow me and my baby brains out. And then after I did not um, open my door, she posted all over social media saying that she had killed me. These are the same women who came to my job to jump on me that I had to mace. And these are people that and these are people that they hired to do this. Yeah, they, they're all associated um, with the magistrate. Oh. To, uh, to clarify, uh, so the the subtext of why they have done the removal is to get you to keep your mouth shut. Yeah. It was to bring me back to the state of Alabama. But right. But the, but the actual, but what DHR has documented is the reason for removal is some bogus concern. I assume that I'm crazy and that I abandoned my baby. When I gave it to my sister, they said I abandoned her. 
Okay, so inadequate guardianship and lack of supervision. Yeah, that's what they're trying to say. Okay, Okay. so so like, uh, Jay, what do you suggest he uh, tries to do about this? Because, like, you know, I think, like, I think there has to be a solution to, like, all of this, really. What what do you suggest? Uh well, before um, Jay um, speaks, let me say we did go to court on um, the 15th. And of course, you know, they held me in jail 131 days. So I was never able to make any court dates. So when I did appear in court, they was like, oh, this this case has been here too long. So we we, I, we, we moved to close it. This is what his attorney, my child's father attorney is saying. Let's just close the case. But, I, you know, I told the judge, I'm like, if you look at the documentation, I didn't sign any of that. My, I, they have signatures of mine on documents and I wasn't in court. So um, I told him, I said, it was impossible for me to sign this stuff. I said, only thing I'm asking you to do is allow me to come to court and to have a trial to prove to you that my child was not abandoned and I have not done anything to anyone. And the judge was like, I'm going to grant you that. He said, because it's so much movement in your case and you haven't been around to come to court. So bring all of your evidence showing me what you're saying. These people have been to your home. You were forced to leave your home. Yeah, but like they, but like, you know, they never, like, but they ended up not letting you go to court? We go back to court in January because of holidays and everything. Oh, okay. Okay. That's all right. That's fair. All right. So, like, early next year then? Yeah. Okay. Got you. But, uh, Jay, what do you suggest, like, you know, she uh, does does about this, though, if you have any, like, you know, advice? Well, Keisha is doing the right is is doing the right thing here. She's lucky that she was granted the chance to actually make her case here. Some people actually aren't. What happens is states have a limit in the amount of time kids can be in foster care before it triggers what they call a TPR hearing or termination of parental rights. Usually this is somewhere around 18 months to two years. And when that happens, if if a termination of parental rights order is granted, then that's it. That's final. There isn't much you can do. Uh, So Keisha is is doing everything she can. When it comes to the what I call the remedial courts, the family and juvenile courts, they have such a backlog that it is not particularly difficult to reach that 18-month mark. And the problem that the problem that Keisha has is for most of the time that she would be working on the, what she needed to do for reunification, she was behind bars. That's a, that's where this problem comes in. So if she can make a very strong, a very compelling case, and it sounds like she has the evidence to do it, then they will start uh, making the uh, the recommendations will be made for what needs to be done for reunification. Now her attorney is going to need to keep uh, is going to need to be on the top of his or her game because sometimes those recommendations for what you have to do can be how do you put it uh they can be moving targets and that can be an issue um it can also be that 
they have that something may not be sufficient. One thing that I typically suggest is because many, you know, DHR may offer contracted services. If you can find an equivalent community-based organization or private provider and take the incentive to, for example, uh, get help based on the allegations that exist, that will look particularly good because at this point, it's unlikely that the the determination that DHR made will be overturned, but reunification is certainly still possible. But if you go with DHR contracted services, that you know, there may be some nuances that allow them to communicate without uh, HIPAA consent. So it's best to maintain as much control as possible and work with service providers that you trust because right now you're at the mercy of the court. Right. You know, they, they ordered that I do anger management, parenting classes, um, a psych eval. And like I told them, that's no problem. I already completed the anger management classes. Um, and they tried to throw um, his attorney in the middle of court said that I'm a crackhead. I sit at home and do drugs all day. Well, to prove y'all wrong, let's do a drug test. And come to find out, he failed the drug test. But did they remove my child? No. They left her there because they're doing everything they can, again, to keep me quiet. The, the, um, so DHR is also at the mercy of the court. So that is that's clearly that's clearly a court issue, because when Child Protective Services bring things to court, the court can refute them as well. Granted, Mm -hmm. there's a much higher burden for that, but uh, it does happen. The the important thing is with the services, as many of them as you can seek as many of the relevant services as you can as to what's required. Seek them out on your own in private. And try mm-hmm. and, you know, and with the approval of DHR or the court to make sure that you maintain the most control, because unfortunately, and I know this from experience, when they are DHR contracted services, sometimes privacy is not always in your control. And with so little in your control, whatever you can retain control over. Mm-hmm. becomes all the more precious. Okay, and that's because they were like, um, go see their psychiatrist. And I told them, no, I'll see, I'll um, find one that's not biased, and I will go to that person. But I'm not going to y'all. Yeah, right. Yeah, like exactly. And that's a, that's a smart thing to do because it's like, you, you, would, you, would, you don't want to go to anybody that's biased. That's working like, for them. Right. Yeah, pretty much. Like, yeah. So, like, you know, that's that's reasonable. I get that. Um, but yeah, but yeah, like all I gotta say is like, you know, I wish you, I wish you luck in your court case though. And I hope, and I hope you. you really fight through this because like, there, you know, it, this it, is like, this is serious. There's only one other recommendation I would make. And mm-hmm. it is that these DHR will only, only typically moves to close a case quickly when there is a threat to their job. So, and you can't use someone who's at the bottom of the food chain. So for example, the caseworker, especially if they're no longer even, even there anymore mm-hmm. is, would be considered low, low hanging fruit. 
you need someone who has authority if they feel that there's been a mistake and it potentially affects them. For example, the drug test, they went and ignored that there was a positive drug test uh, for whoever, you know, uh, whoever is respond now responsible mm-hmm. uh, for your, for your daughter, what we call the person legally responsible, then they might be more likely to close things. It is okay. very, it, it is very difficult to find someone who to get to someone who is that high up and I'm not saying that you should play dirty here but if there is something that uh that you see that would directly affect them I think it's really important to bring attention to that because in my in my experience personal liability is the currency Mm -hmm. in among child welfare workers. So if your liability is reduced, you're safe. If your liability is a lot higher and something has actually occurred, well, then you want that, you want to put that fire out as quickly as possible. Well, because the judge is going to hear um, the phone calls of them hanging up in my face when I'm calling them asking for help. Um, The judge is going to hear, they're going to see the evidence that I presented to them a long time ago, um, pictures of my child's father um, smoking marijuana, rolling marijuana, selling marijuana to different people. And, and, and that's the way to do it because you're doing it in the court. You're presenting some pretty strong evidence. Now, I'm not an attorney, so I can't advise, I can't advise or predict how the court will react to it. Uh, I tend to focus more on DHR policy, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's typically done by executive order, than actual litigation. I leave that to the attorneys. But obviously, similar rules will likely apply in the court. Whenever I, whenever I was in court, granted, I was in court, you know, in the remedial courts in a different capacity, I followed four rules. And that is what got that is what got me through it. Assuming mm-hmm. you trust your attorney, okay. Keep your answer. Keep your answers short and to the point. Mm-hmm. Don't provide additional. Don't volunteer additional information. Mm-hmm. Listen to your attorney, and tell the truth. You follow those four rules. Anything that can be in your control will be in your control. Okay. I think that's some pretty solid advice there. Absolutely. Yeah. So like, you know, um, yeah, like this is a pretty good, great conversation. It's like, you know, once again, I really hope you uh, win your court, win your court case. And uh, yeah, I'm going to be rooting for you. Thank so, you. Uh, oh, and um, also, Jay, I, I have some people um, from NAACP who is going to be backing me in this case. Come to find out the first judge we had in family court. She's now um, president of the NAACP and she knows um the type of person who my child's father is you've got some good people in your corner yeah yeah them wisely yeah you do i think yeah you should i think i think you'll i think you'll win this i think you'll win this like 100 percent. as long as you got all the evidence as long as you got everything on deck and as long as you are 100 percent truthful i think you can absolutely win this 
case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I wish I, re- I wish you the best of luck. Uh, thank you. Anytime. And with that, and with that being said, that was it for today's podcast. Like, you know, I appreciate you guys for coming on and like, you know, just um, conversing and just talk and just talking about this issue. Um, yeah. Once again, like I said before, this was a great conversation. Um, yeah. Any, any last words before we go? Uh, I would like to thank Jay for the advice because it's going to help me a lot, you know, to know the ins and outs of how to deal with these people and to know what I need when I hire an attorney, you know, what they're going to stand for and what they're going to present for me. It's my, it's my pleasure. And uh, I offer this to, uh, you know, across the, uh, across the country in all 50 states, uh, my website, if people are interested in preparing for a CPS investigation, if you don't want a situation to uh, like Keisha's to occur, or you are under investigation and you want to get control of the situation really quickly, visit our website at cpsprotect.com. And I look forward to helping anybody who needs it. Okay. Have you um, spoken with um, Reedy Shakur yet? No, I have not. Okay, she she was also on um, with Marianne. I'm going to get your information to her so that she can reach out to you as well. Okay, okay. Sounds yeah. good. Yeah, sounds like a plan. But uh, yeah, like I said, um, you know, I hope you guys have a re- very great day. And once again, thank you for coming on. Uh, it was a pleasure talking to, talking to both of you and hearing you guys, you know, just like, you know, talk it out, you know, like um, profession- professionals and like, you know, this was just all amazing. My pleasure, Eric. Yeah. Thank thank you. you. Anytime. All right. I hope you guys have a great rest of your days. And uh, yeah, I'll tell you guys when this comes up, by the way. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. Anytime. You too. Yeah, have a great holiday. All right. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.